0: we
1: University of Wyoming with the Wyoming Cowboys football squad and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. Gentlemen! (laughs) Oh man. There's exciting things happening here in Laramie, and we are proud to be in town to honor one of your student athletes with the Caught in the Act Award. The Adam Rich Show is proud to sponsor the Caught in the Act Awards. What this is, is uh, you know caught in the act, that's usually a bad thing, getting your hand caught in the cookie char, you're caught in the act doing something bad. This is you've been caught in the act doing something good, off the field, your character, your community service. We talked to your coaching staff, we uh, had some names nominated. was unanimous on who wins this award, and it is Eric Nazacha. Come on down, Eric. Where are you at? Come on down. All right. Eric, and I hope I said that right. Nazacha, did I get yeah. that? Okay, good. I'm better at this than I thought. Okay, Eric, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? You've, I'm fine, thank you. And you are our winner for the Caught in the Act Award for Character and Community Service. You uh, are the points leader with the champion. Champions Club, is that right? Yeah, that's true. So we talked to your head coach uh, Dave Christensen about the Champions Club and how uh, all the players here Whether it's your grades or community service or player development, you get points for certain things off the field You're the points leader. How does that make you feel? Uh, It
2: makes me feel good because I know I've been putting in work
1: now on the field, it's great to you know have a great play or win the game. Uh, th- this is in my world anyway. This is just a- an equally great feeling to win s- or be awarded or um, recognized for your off the field uh, character. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so tell me about some of the things you've done to be the points leader with the Champions Club.
2: Like I excelled in the weight room. Did a lot of community service, and.
1: I had good grades. Yeah. Did, well, what, what 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 kind of community service? Uh, what was your single favorite pro- service project? I guess. I'm um, helping in the Salvation Army. Salvation Army. Okay, yeah. great. That's a great cause. And then with grades, what's your favorite class? And wh- what are you best at? Like, math. Math? Yeah. That's okay. Anybody agree with that? Who's good at math? Nobody. See? Oh, there's one guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm telling you what, we are so honored to be here in Laramie with uh, you and the University of Wyoming to award you the Caught in the Act Award. It's Eric Nizacha. Let's have another round of applause. Thank you, Eric.
0: Adam Ritz is a media personality and keynote speaker interviewing amazing people from coast to coast. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Ritz or listen to him now on The Adam Ritz Show. And the show rolls on
1: from Lawrence, Kansas. I'm on the campus of the University of Kansas. It's the Jayhawks, and we are here with Sharice Sadbury. Dr. Sadbury, how are you? I'm doing well. Do I call you Sharice or Dr. Sadbury? You can just call me Sharice. Sharice, okay. You are the uh, sports psychologist, I guess, Uh, team doctor, physician with the uh, Kansas Jayhawks athletic department. Uh, Did I get the title right?
2: Uh, Counseling and sports psychologist.
1: Counseling sports psychologist. So... What is a typical day for you in your office with the student-athletes here at Kansas?
2: Um, it varies every day. Every, every student that comes in to see me, is, it's just different stuff. Uh, we talk about what's going on in their life, or we talk about how they're performing and how we can get them better.
1: Okay, so off-the-field issues is, uh, you know, I guess their coaches deal with on-the-field issues. Mm-hmm. They have some sort of campus off-the-field issue. Um, maybe drinking is involved, and I'm certainly not here on campus to accuse any Kansas Jayhawk of having a drinking problem. Uh, but I am, I guess, smart enough to notice that it is a college campus in a major Division One, Big 12, huge population on this campus. There's probably some parties going on. Maybe there's some alcohol. Uh, how do you approach those kind of topics with your student athletes when it comes to alcohol.
2: Um, I take it from the angle, I mean, most athletes are high achievers and perfectionists and they're here for a reason. They want to win, they want to be successful. Um, so most of the things I talk with them about is how those lifestyle choices are going to affect that. Whether it's you're drinking alcohol and how that's going to affect your body and whether or not you're going to be able to recover and do well in your sport, or whether or not those choices can lead you to get in trouble and then you lose your sport. Um, and if you lose your sport and that's a big part of your identity, then what's going to happen to you? in that moment. You know, who are you going to be and how do you grow from that? So I kind of take it from that angle of making sure that they're looking at their lifestyle as a whole picture rather than just a a snapshot of uh, the decision that they're making in that moment. So.
1: Okay, so it's not only just, you know, you can maybe have a, a few too many drinks and make a bad decision, possibly get arrested, but you're talking about performance. As a machine, as a student athlete, it's like poison in your bloodstream. Uh, do you have any statistics off the top of your head that, um, that could make sense to me and my listeners about um, X amount of drinks equal this much muscle tissue damage or anything like that?
2: I don't have those statistics, I wouldn't say. Our nutritionist is really good at um, providing those statistics, but even just one drink can affect your whole workout for that day. Um, So the amount of alcohol and how that affects the oxygen and how your body recovers can affect that workout. So if you think about the seven or eight hours you put in in that day, is that one drink worth that seven or eight hours not having the impact that you thought it was going to have tomorrow when you go out to play again?
1: I did hear this. what your take on it. I heard uh, at a recent seminar I went to um, that marijuana is, and I never heard this before, um, marijuana is four times worse than a normal cigarette as far as the damage it's doing to your lungs. And I've never heard that before. You hear all this social, political, Conversation about making marijuana legal, and as time goes on, it will be. You'll be able to buy it in a liquor store if you're 21 and they'll tax it and we'll get out of debt. But uh, it's legal in a couple of states already. Uh, I've never heard through any of these conversations how bad it is for your lungs or, or that it is worse than a normal cigarette. Uh, did you have that information? I, I'm shocked.
2: Yes, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm pretty aware of that. Uh, Who
1: would have thought pot is bad? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because I think our college students tend to look at all the, well, it's going to be legal and it's legal in this state. Right. And they never think about the ramifications of the, what it's doing to their body, you know, today and what it might do to their body 10 years from continually to do it. Um, so a lot of times it's trying to help them understand, you know, you, like you said, you're a machine, you're, you're an athlete, your body has to be in tip top shape. And you might be good. And I'll tell them, you, you are good, but you're not great. And you're not going to be able to get to that great level until you start to take better care of your body. And depending on how long you play, so if we look at some of our football players, if they're going to play in the league, when you're done playing, you're going to feel aches and pains you've never felt before because now your body has to come back to normal and adjust to that. So you're going to feel these aches and pains, how you treated your body through those five, seven, eight years that you play in the league is going to make a difference in how you feel afterwards. So if you're drinking and you're smoking weed and you're doing whatever and you're staying up late and partying all the time, when you stop playing and your body starts to adjust, all of that stuff is going to come back to you too. And they don't think about that.
1: Our guest is Cherise Sadbury, doctor, PhD, uh, licensed uh, counseling and sports psychologist with the University of Kansas Athletic Department. And I'll listen to you. I mean, you know what you're talking about. You've got to keep these athletes in tip top shape Premier, Division One college student-athletes, the football team in the Big 12, uh, all the other Olympic sports from volleyball to wrestling, the basketball team. I mean, come on, let's get real. Uh, Kansas basketball is one of the most elite programs on planet Earth. Um, what can you share with us about some of the behind-the-scenes, uh, not even from your, from your desk or your chair or, behind, or, or your, uh, from your title, just some fun stuff share with us about Kansas basketball. So you got to get uh you know great it. seats. Oh. <laughs> you, you
2: know. <laughs> no I don't. You don't? I don't get great seats. No I sit up in the rafters. Um but I will say Allen Field House is an experience I've never I've never had before. You know I went to the University of Nebraska and everybody will talk about a football game in Nebraska it is crazy, but in my f- friends and family that are at Nebraska are probably going to hate me for this, but a basketball game in Allen Field House outdoes Nebraska football. Hands down. I mean, it's so loud, it's so energetic. You know, there's just no experience that you can replicate that that gives you what Allen Fieldhouse does. I can sit in the rafters and I still feel like I'm on the court because it's so old school. So it's not a stadium. I mean, you're you feel like you're 10 feet away from the court. You know, no matter how far away you are. So it's definitely a great experience.
1: So I've got that on my bucket list now. Um, Allen Fieldhouse, Mm -hmm. University of Kansas basketball. I've got to go. I'll sit in the rafters with you. Maybe you should tell Coach that there's a problem with some of the players and you need to be right behind the bench.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I have an all-access pass. I mean, I I hang out in the tunnel, you know, at halftime to let them know that I'm there. And, you know, I got a little flack from from one of the coaches specifically about I never see you at the games even though he knows I sit in the rafters. So, you know, I've used my all-access pass to kind of hang out in the tunnel and stuff. And I could sit on the bench if I wanted to. I just (laughs) – I like to kind of keep my distance and and observe from afar so I can really see what they're doing and and how things are going for them, so –
1: well, Sharice Sadbury, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show uh, and all of your uh, Jayhawk hospitality. We're big fans now of, uh, of the Jayhawks. I've seen this phrase around campus, rock, rock chalk. chalk. I've actually seen it on the Internet as well. Can you, Before I let you go, real quick, explain what rock chalk is.
2: So my understanding of rock chalk is, you know, back in the day a professor and some of his students came up with a chant for the Jayhawks and the rock chalk. So the the rock the way they say it is, you know, really slow and and kind of methodical and it kind of represents the trains and uh the 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 limestone or whatever the rock in the area they call it chalk so it's oh, okay. so it's rock chalk but they say it really slow and it goes rock chalk J-hawk, K-U. so when you hear like thousands of fans saying it it's scary I mean it's pretty intense it was kind of scary
1: with you just <laughs> saying it by yourself. <laughs> Okay, but no, that makes sense to me now. Okay, and I uh, now bucket list, I got to be in the football stadium and I want to be part of the rock shot.
2: Yeah, you got to do it. I mean, I think come on out for a game. You know, I, our team's pretty fired up this year. I'm pretty fired up. I think there's a great chemistry and a, and a great energy around the team this year, and I, I think they're going to do really well. And, you know, I'm excited to see them experience some success. So, you know, come on out.
1: Cherise Sadbury, thank you so much for joining us.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: this is Stephanie Webb the head women's soccer coach at UT Tyler we want to encourage you to go to our newest
3: team members Facebook page prayers for Emma and help support little Emma in her fight
0: against uh, fanconia's anemia which is a rare bone marrow disorder and now back to the Adam Rich Show
1: It's the Adam Ritz Show, and I'm Adam Ritz. We thank you so much for listening, and this is a follow-up report to uh, a foundation, an initiative that we learned about uh, at Penn State University called Uplifting Athletes, and we are uh, super excited to have the executive director and founder of Uplifting Athletes, Scott Shirley, with us. Hi, Scott. How are you?
3: Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me.
1: Scott uh, Shirley played at Penn State University, wide receiver, when we were uh, those years? 99 uh,
3: to 2003.
1: Okay, so uh, you're still in shape. Could you play right now? <laughs> no, nah, these kids get bigger, stronger, <laughs> faster every year. Well, I'll get to uh, some fun on the field moments with you in a minute, but uh, I want to talk about your foundation. You are, uh, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, you're the founding, uh, the founder of Uplifting Athletes, and um, you
3: founded it while you were a player at Penn State about 10 years ago. Tell us about yeah. this. Yeah, when I was on the team, uh, it was fall of 2002, actually the week we were playing in Iowa. I was on my way home from practice one day and I got a phone call from my mom. It's one of those calls, you know, something's not right. And I I answered the phone and sure enough she was so choked up she could hardly speak. So I pulled into a parking lot uh, while she composed herself and and she finally told me that my father had been diagnosed with kidney cancer and was only given six months to live. Um, So you know at the time it didn't really hit me because my father lived a very healthy life. He didn't drink, he didn't smoke. He was a high school baseball coach with over 400 wins, so he was known as a fighter. And I figured we just needed to go get another opinion. Yeah. And uh, you know, everywhere else we went in the fall, we were told the same thing, that nothing can be done. Second opinion, third opinion, we were going to all the best medical centers in the Mid-Atlantic region. Finally, in the spring of 03, uh, we went down to see the top oncologist at Johns Hopkins. And I felt like we were going down there to get an answer. And the doctor doesn't even close the door of the waiting room. He just sticks his head in and says, The reality is there's nothing we can do for you. Go home and enjoy the time that you have. Wow.
1: And uh, you are a member of the team. And, um, you know, I'm going to make this quick because it's how uh, it's processing in my head. But uh, you, at some point, come to terms with this and decide you need to do something about this to give back and create awareness. Or, and that's the, the, really the genesis of, of Uplifting Athletes.
3: Yeah, exactly. I, we walked out of there, uh, out of that appointment. I felt like we'd really reached the end of the road at that point. That's when it really got real for me that um, you know nobody else was doing anything about this. So on my way back to Penn State, I called the American Cancer Society, and they explained to me that different cancers are actually different diseases uh, with different treatment protocols. Um, you know, So since kidney cancer doesn't typically respond to the standard first-line treatments like chemo or radiation, kidney cancer is not one of their priorities. So now we have all these doctors telling us that there's nothing that they can do. The American Cancer Society is telling us there's nothing that they have chosen to do. Uh, my next call is the Kidney Cancer Association, small group out of Chicago. Um, and they said that's all true, but the bigger challenge is that since it affects fewer than 200,000 Americans, it lacks the financial incentive to make and market new treatments. It's considered a rare disease and it's been orphaned by the system. And uh, I walked into my apartment that night, and my roommate, teammate Damone Jones, is sitting on the couch. And, you know, we're 20 year old college kids at the time. And Damone's playing video games, and he greets me and asks about my day. And I said, you know what? It sucks. 45,000 Americans a year are diagnosed with this disease. They're told they have a 10% chance of living for five years. Nobody's doing anything because they don't, they don't think it's important. <laughs> Damone looked at me and shrugged his shoulders. He said, well, then why don't we do something? We're Penn State football. He said, if I wipe my butt sideways, it's on the front page of the paper. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's, let's take advantage of the position that we're in and, and share this spotlight that we have with a community that, that would really benefit from having it.
1: Well... You know, on on the emotional level, uh, uh, condolences, and and it's so emotional. I'm so sorry to hear about, about your father and what happened 10 years ago. Uh, to move forward and, um, you know, make a positive out of a negative, you really did that. So initially with uplifting athletes, what was that first uh, initiative on campus with your team at Penn State? What would you do that year?
3: Yeah, so after Damone and I had that conversation, we started talking about it in the locker room. The team rallied around an idea that we had to hold a summer lifting competition that became known as the Lift for Life. Uh, but what happened next was really, really pretty cool uh, because the benefits are greater than we anticipated. We literally had guys lining up at our locker saying, "Hey, I heard what you're trying to do. How can I help? I want to get involved." You know, and this was different than any other community service we'd done. It was planned by an administrator somewhere, and they pulled the van up and told you, to "Put your jersey on." You know, and it was great in the moment. But this was a complete different service learning experience for us because we were actively engaged. We we had that sense of ownership. As we sat around a table and planned it, we realized that. You know Dave's a supply chain major so he's working on the logistics and um, you know our friend Darius is an accounting major so he's you know the treasurer and Damone's a, a marketing major so he's doing the promotions and it started to feel like we were running our own business um, taking what we were learning in the classroom with the leadership skills from the field and applying it towards something we were passionate about. And three short months later, we had the first Lift for Life event, uh, which was a really just a fun to watch lifting competition that was in our squad, uh, in front of hundreds of fans, uh, lots of media, and really proved our ability to inspire patients with hope.
1: So then uh, the next day you wake up and say, we gotta do this again, we gotta keep this going. What'd you do the next year? How many months went by before the next event? Did it become an annual event at that moment?
3: Yeah, so um, Lift for Life was really the focus of it in the beginning. And that first event raised about $13,000, which wow. as college kids, you know, we, huge. we felt um, was pretty cool. We really didn't have anything to benchmark it against. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that other guys on the team had that same experience that we did. So we registered it as a student organization, transitioned to leadership. You know, I was finishing my Master's of Engineering at the time, but I, was, I had played my last season that fall. Um, so we got some other guys involved to run it. And they had it a second year, raised $38,000. So uh, another wow. teammate, Dave Caso, and I one night are writing thank you letters to the donors. And um, we're talking about the fact that we've raised over $50,000 now in, in only 15 months. And uh, for this organization that's really underfunded, we come to find out that, that was we were their largest donor at that point as, as a couple of college kids. And uh, we, we figured, you know, we'd never met anybody from this group. Um, and it would be fun to go out there sometimes. So Dave and I both look at our calendars. The only weekend we're both available is that weekend. And this is Thursday night about 9 o'clock. So if we're going to go, we need to make the decision to go. So we pick up the phone, we call out the Kidney Cancer Association, and ask they'd be in town that weekend. they said, we are, unfortunately, it's our biggest patient conference of the year. And we'd hate for you to come out here and not get spending time with you because we're only a staff of four. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is, this is our big event. And uh, Dave and I felt like... We might as well take the chance because we don't have this opportunity any other time. Both called our parents. They told us that they were okay with it. We went out to the airport to book a flight. Couldn't do that at 10 o'clock at night
1: out
3: of State College. So we ended up renting a car, going home, doing our laundry, leaving about 2 a.m. and driving to Chicago. (laughs) About an hour outside of the city, we get a call from the Kidney Cancer Association to see if we're still coming. We told them where we were. They said, great, our keynote speaker just canceled. Can you guys fill in?
0: Oh, my
1: gosh, that's great. Well, especially so, as, as the biggest donors, right. if you've just raised fifty grand in the last right. 15 months. Right. So you're, yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, so we pull over to a rest stop, change our clothes, pull up to the Hilton Hair, They valley our car and usher us right up onto the stage. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, so now we're standing in front of a room full of people that all lived in the same world that my parents lived in, that my dad specifically lived in, where the, he was told, Nothing can be done because nobody cares. In yeah. walk, two college football players, another volunteer, Carrie Konoski, who ironically is now the director of development for the Kidney Cancer Association. Um, she went with us on the trip because she had helped us uh, with that event at Penn State that year. Three of us walk in on stage in front of this room full of people that, that really feel like it's them against the world. And we tell them, you know, this is who we are, this is what we did. We drove halfway across the country last night to share our story with you because um, we care. And just, just that fact alone was enough to really inspire them with hope. We were interrupted three times in 10 minutes by a standing ovation, and that was the life-changing moment for me, was up until then it really seemed like a good thing to do, the right thing to do, but leaving there, after we had moved their medical advisory board to tears, I felt like this was an obligation that we had to use this platform that we've been given.
1: That's amazing. I, I didn't know that that part of the story was going to come out. That's uh, I'm inspired now to get involved. Uh, Scott Shirley is our guest, the founder of Uplifting Athletes, a uh, former Penn State football player that started this organization uh, while he was a Penn State Player, and uh, so now you move forward and you make this thing a national initiative. You, I, I'm assuming at some point you quit your job. You were an engineering guy, and you work in, you're working for corporate America, engineering uh, something, something big time, uh, important future with a big six figure job. You quit all that to really focus on this national foundation. Tell us about when it went national.
3: Yeah, I mean that that whole experience in Chicago really stayed with me. And as, as you mentioned, I graduated with two degrees in engineering from Penn State while we'll playing football. And a great institution. And I was working my dream job in DC. Uh, and I, the, my last project there was 140 million dollar mixed use development. Um, really great experience for me. And it was it was everything I'd always worked towards. But this can continue to grow at Penn State, and it reached a point where we felt like kidney cancer is only one of 7,000 different rare diseases. And again, that that sense of obligation, that calling, that we could create the same experience for other college football players around the country and use that coordinated effort to elevate the rare disease cause, but give all of them an opportunity to raise money for a rare disease that's had a direct impact on them. Because statistically, there's 7,000 different rare diseases, they all affect fewer than 200,000 Americans, but collectively, it's 30 million Americans. That's the size of the constituency that we serve. So statistically, you're talking about one out of 10. So every football team in America knows somebody with a rare disease, and they have a platform they can use to to really change the, change the landscape, change the game for those patients.
1: So your program, uh, you work with college football teams across the country, you have sort of a uh, program that they take over, mm-hmm. they have their own student leadership, they get involved, and they can pick the charity, the rare disease that yep. they raise money for yep. and there's uh, and they do it without any coaches or administrators. This is all student right. athlete run, yep,
3: yeah, it operates on every campus as a student organization, um, so it 's really no different than um, you know a fraternity or the chess club or you know whatever other group. Um, you know, you might be familiar with. It operates really the same way. We provide support to them. We take them through a strategic planning process on an annual basis. We introduce them to their peers on other campuses so they can work together. And they hold different events throughout the year. Some uh, some fundraising events. Some awareness events. Um, Penn State this fall. I'm sorry, this spring uh, for Global Rare Disease Day. Uh, at the basketball game, they did seven. The students did seven thousand push-ups in honor of the 7,000 different rare diseases, you know, and that was, that was broadcast on the big 10 network. Well, Penn state was upsetting Michigan that night. Um, you know, and it really starts a conversation about rare diseases and that's how, that that's really the beginning of change. That's the impetus of change is just starting the conversation.
1: Well, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this thing grows. In fact, I'd love to be a part of it. I'm inspired. I love college football. We work with a lot of foundations, so whatever we can do to help out, uh, if you are a college or even a high school football coach, because I know you're going to start branching out and doing D2, D3, college and high school football teams across the country, if you're a football coach listening to this broadcast and want to learn more, email me. Uh, go to com and email me, and we'll set up the digital introduction with Scott Shirley and uh, Uplifting Athletes, and your website is up upliftingathletes.org
3: correct yeah
1: um, now moving forward what's uh, some exciting things coming up for uplifting athletes
3: well as you mentioned i left my my job five years ago to do this full-time we've doubled in size every year since since so we now have player run chapters on 20 campuses uh, including schools like penn state ohio state nebraska you know up in big 10 country wisconsin just came on board We're getting down in the sec with south carolina we have a bunch of acc schools boston college maryland clemson uh, down into the Big 12 country with Oklahoma and Baylor, out to Pac-12 with Arizona. So, um, you know, that that team just continues to grow. Our Letterman's Club continues to grow as guys graduate this program and leadership positions and go out and, and really change the world in their own way uh, based on these experiences. So, you know, that aspect of it alone is really exciting. Then there's the whole rare disease side of things, the advocacy efforts, the education efforts, um, some of the meaningful relationships we've been able to develop as an organization with uh, key decision makers um, because of this, this wonderful platform of college football really making a big impact um, at a really fast rate. Uh, so we're, we're excited about that.
1: It's, it's cool. It's uplifting athletes um, working with college football to benefit rare disease uh, across the country. Scott Shirley is our guest. He's the executive director and founder of Uplifting Athletes. You played at Penn State. Let's have some fun. Talk about uh, on the field. Tell us your any 80-yard bomb. Uh, Hail Mary to win the game. Come on.
3: Well, you know, my freshman year, we were preseason number one on Sports Illustrated's cover uh, with LeVar Arrington, Courtney Brown, all those guys. And um, I came in as a receiver, uh, but I got put at scout team tailback because they, 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 oh, no. that defense was just chewing the guys up. So I survived that year, obviously. Um, but LeVar hit me once <laughs> so hard in the hole, it actually dented my face mask into my nose. And, uh <laughs> And of course, it was because somebody missed a block, so the scout team had to run the play again. And um, the guy who missed the block the first time didn't even attempt the block the second time because he saw what happened to me. Um, but Lavar just picked me up and laughed the second time.
1: That's that's great, and that tells you a little bit about Penn State football. That in your in your four years as a Penn State football player, the hardest hit you took was from a Penn State football player, Lavar Arrington. That's right? yep. All right, well, Scott, Shirley, we can't thank you enough for your service and and your time on the show to be part of this broadcast. Uh, You were number 80 in college, and your Twitter is at ScottShirley80. Correct. Correct. So follow him on Twitter. Go to upliftingathletes.org to learn more. Email me, uh, coaches, if you're listening and you want this to be part of your uh, initiatives and have your student-athletes do a student-run organization to help raise money for rare diseases and cancer across the country. We
0: can't thank you enough, Scott, for being on the show. Thanks, Adam. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social technically
1: i'm adam ritz and today we're on the campus of the university of cincinnati and we're broadcasting in front of a live studio audience let's hear it all right Thank you so much for that applause. We are here today to honor a student organization on campus, Greek life, that's the sororities and the fraternities on campus here at the University of Cincinnati, and our guest is Mariah. Hi, Mariah, how are you? Good, how are you? Now, I'm doing fantastic, and I heard earlier uh, about uh, your Greek week, I know nothing about it, but I'm here to uh, give you the national award for most involved campus of the week with the Adam Rich Show because of the money raised, the organizations that see the money, how the money's raised. What can you tell us about uh, Greek Week here at the University of Cincinnati?
4: Okay, well, last year we raised $35,000 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and this year we have adopted a new philanthropy, it's Free Store Food Bank. And we are raising money and awareness for them and also canned goods. We have added a new event called Can We Build It? Where we will have each chapter build structures out of canned goods and then donate them to Free Star Food Bank.
1: And you said $35,000 last year was raised?
4: Yes. And
1: does that mean that this year, that the bar is set, it's going to be at least $35,000 this year, right?
4: Yeah, um, I think we're planning on raising a lot more than that this year.
1: And how are the funds raised with fun activities, uh, canning, as I've heard, uh, where you go door to door with a can and ask for money? How's the money raised?
4: Um, Each chapter has their own website through, like, a mother website, and then they are expected to raise money. And then all that money goes through our total. And we also have T-shirt sales and one event called Pie in the Face where people pay money to pie anyone they want to in the face.
1: Oh, I like that one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Who makes the pies?
4: Um, It's actually just a paper plate with whipped cream.
1: Like Revenge of the Nerds.
4: Yeah, I've never seen that. I'm
1: too old for you. I know. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. You take it, just a pie pan. Who's seen Revenge of the Nerds? Come on. Okay. Well, round of applause. Who's seen Revenge of the Nerds? Okay. All
0: right.
1: For a second there, I thought I was 300 years old. Uh, Yeah, you you, you get a pie tin, and you just fill it up with whipped cream, and you donate money and throw it in somebody's face. Okay. So $35,000 last year, that is fantastic to hear. Uh, Mariah, thanks for uh, sharing that story with us, and we want to give everybody here at the University of Cincinnati a huge round of applause for all of the hard work that you guys are doing.